All right, boys and girls, it's Pete, and we're going to see if we can do this all in one take. For seminars coming up April 1st through the 3rd, and then June 3rd through the 5th, both of those barring any inclement weather and or snowstorms again. For training camps coming up, we have a self-sufficient lifter camp on March 19th in Wichita Falls, covering the squat, the press, the deadlift, how to film yourself, and how to diagnose your own technique. Then our first ever lift shoot fight camp, that's a two-day camp on April 30th to May 1st in Wichita Falls, covering the basic barbell lifts and fun with guns. Then a squat camp in Mobile, Alabama on March 19th. And we have a squat and deadlift camps on March 20th in Austin, Texas at Starting Strength Austin, and March 26th in Moodus, Connecticut. And then finally, a three-lift camp in Baltimore at 5x3 Training on April 24th. That's covering the squat, the bench, and the deadlift. And then even more fun going on in Wichita Falls, April 23rd, strength lifting meet, contesting the squat, the press, and the deadlift as strength lifting should. And then finally, of course, we're going to continue to look for coaches. We're going to continue to hound you about becoming a coach. If you're on the fence, then head over to startingstrength.com. Check out the coaching tab so that you can see the different pathways to becoming a coach, right? There's a couple different pathways to being developed. There's the online development course. There's also apprenticing in a gym, a couple different options there. So check those out if you're interested in doing something fun. So as usual, For more information on anything else that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet, ladies and gentlemen, Starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, Today we're going to do what we like to refer to as our single topic podcast. That's where we don't bother with your inane, irrelevant questions. We don't talk to guests because, you know, they bring more value to the program than we actually want in it. What we do on days like this is we talk about just whatever happens to be running around in my head for a while. And really, honestly, this is the most pure form of staying in my lane. That's true. Isn't it? Yeah. Yep. I mean, because all we're doing here is my lane. Right. Right. So anyway, that's what we're going to do today. Uh, first, I'd like to mention that... Uh, you know, you guys are all intelligent enough to know we pre-record this. So this morning uh, is, uh, this is February the 1st is when we're recording this. And I just got word this morning that our my old friend Tommy Suggs passed away early this morning. Tommy, 85, he's been in a, he's been in an assisted living facility for quite some time. And he was in bad shape and he was tired. And he's, he had a real good run. Tommy was a good man and a good friend of mine and a good mentor, a good coach. And uh, he's uh, he'll be missed. He'll be sorely missed. Passed away this morning at the age of 85. So tonight, 
I, I don't know about you, but I am going to drink a very large toast to my old friend, Tommy Sucks. Okay, now. Now that's, uh, now that that's, that's done, I guess I'm supposed to read these comments from the haters, right? I don't know, I, I kind of really feel like it. <laughs> Save them for next time. Uh, save them for next time. Yeah. I talk to these idiots after having to tell you guys that Tommy Suggs died. Can't really segue from that. To no, that. you can't segue from that to this irrelevant dribble here. <laughs> these people are not they are not worthy of washing Tommy's socks. <laughs> so we're just going to skip that this time. And we'll, we may pick it up later some stupid fucking physical therapist had some big long comment <laughs> maybe we'll get interested enough in that next time to deal with it but anyway all right so what's on my mind today well i'll tell you well i'll tell you we recently did a podcast about coaching and we talked about uh um operating as a coach from the coach's perspective of what was required of a good coach what makes a good coach how a good coach prepares how a good coach gets to be a good coach what it takes to be a good coach all of that stuff so i got to thinking about this last night and uh, and i thought well maybe it would be helpful for me to talk a little while about what it takes to be a good client all right, who makes a good client? What does a client, a good client look like? What's a good client do? What is a, what's a good client want out of the, out of the professional exchange between coach and client? So, uh, this sort of thing, and I don't think this has ever been discussed before. Uh, uh, back when I was actually doing personal training. Uh, and using this method in the gym as I as it was developing, I had a lot of clients, and I had never thought about it from that standpoint. Uh, basically, I dealt with some people that didn't have any business being there. All right, but at the time, I didn't have the option. I needed the money, and you know, we hadn't these ideas hadn't really gelled at that point because I was twenty. 18, 19, 20 years ago. And uh, I probably stopped dealing with clients oh, 15 years ago. I don't think I've had an active personal training client in a very long time. We've just spent the last 15 years teaching you guys how to deal with clients. So we're going to talk about this today, and all of this is going to kind of come flooding in because I really hadn't thought about it very much but what would I like to see in a client well probably the number one characteristic of a good client is somebody that shows the fuck up all right somebody that shows up shows up on time ready to train and who doesn't skip workouts in other words we want a client that actually is committed to the process okay now what is the process okay i, I mentioned this last time and the process of of 
a, a competent coach dealing with a client is one it's an economic relationship just like most other things in adult life it's an economic relationship a coach who is good is good because of his experience and his experience involves him making a lot of mistakes figuring out how to correct them and then making another mistake subsequently and figuring out how to correct that and accumulating years of personal experience with making mistakes and correcting them. That's a coach's job. Now, the coach applies that information, that experience, to the client by saving the client time and money. All right? The coach saves the client time and money because the coach has already made the same mistakes that the client will make if he's not coached. And that's why the client pays the coach the big bucks, all right? Because it is a it is a, a, a it is real easy to waste 10 years in the gym. Most people are doing it right this minute. They're wasting 10 years in the gym. They want a result. They want to be stronger. They want to be bigger, whatever it is they want to be. Uh, and they waste 10 years because they don't understand the process by which the human body responds to the stress recovery adaptation cycle and therefore makes improvements along the lines of performance. Okay? Um, a coach's job is to have made all those mistakes for the client so that the client, in paying the coach, the client is paying for the time that he is saving by listening to the coach and doing what the coach tells him to do. Okay? Now, this involves the client valuing the services of the coach enough to actually be coachable, all right? Now, what does coachable mean? All right, I got yelled at by Star about this a long time ago. Rip, you're not very really coachable. Well, what do you mean by coachable? Here I am trying to tell you some shit, and you're arguing with me about it. <laughs> well, all right, yeah, I can see that. All right, I'll try to be more coachable. And that really is the first time I thought about it. But when you hire a trainer, someone to coach you, you hire a starting strength coach, you have to understand that a starting strength coach has been through a, the, the most rigorous selection process in the physical fitness industry. There is nobody else in the fitness industry that has been subjected to the sorting mechanisms that we have employed to determine whether a person can call themselves a starting strength coach. Now, remember, we're letting these people use our trademark. All right. If a person is a certified starting strength coach, we have determined that they're worthy of doing that and that they can accurately represent our method and effectively coach our method. They understand it. They've demonstrated their ability to coach because we've examined them for 
not only an understanding of the method, but for their ability to coach it. When you come to a seminar and you sit down and you're evaluated as a starting strength coach, what is going on in the seminar is you are standing on the platform coaching another lifter. And our staff is watching you from a distance of about five feet. They're watching you communicate with the lifter. They're watching for your ability to fix what the lifter is doing wrong. We are the only people in this industry that evaluate our coaches based on their demonstrated ability to coach the material. Everybody else is a, is, has got a multiple-choice test, okay? We don't have a multiple-choice test. We don't have a written test of any kind anymore. We use the your demonstration of your ability to coach on the platform as the initial sorting mechanism. You don't even get to the rest of the process if you can't demonstrate your ability to fix what you see wrong, to look at the lifter's movement pattern. Judge it against the model of the lift. And then observe the deviations the lifter is making from that model and then to apply corrections, cues we call them, to the lifters, uh, to the lifters' movements that correct it. Now, if you can't do that, you don't pass. All right? Then if you can do that and you do pass, then we talk to you on the phone. It's about a two-hour conference call. We talk to you about why. We talk to you about the background science material. We talk to you about the models, the method, all of the physics and the base information that is used to, to, that has been used to develop this method. But if you can't coach, we don't even talk to you about it. You're not even eligible to be discussed, to have this discussed with you. You uh, Now, we haven't always done it that way, but we just recently uh, shifted over to this verbal evaluation at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the process. Oh, we had some chicken shit motherfucker publish our test on the Internet. Remember that? We had already switched to oral board, though. We had already switched yeah. to oral board. He just didn't know that. Yeah, he didn't know that. Yeah, Who, we switched. What was that chicken shit motherfucker's name? I, um, I don't even remember it. It's remember irrelevant. Big, tall, stupid piece of shit. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we switched over to this oral board, and, and part of the reasoning behind switching over to the oral board was that a starting strength coach is not necessarily an author. Writing a test, although it's a good idea to be able to write, and this is the assumption that I had made for years, we got to talking about it, and we said, these people don't write. Some of them write articles for us, but the ability to write and describe this is not nearly as important as being able to discuss this material verbally with a client. Be able to talk about it with a person is much more relevant to what a coach does on a daily basis than the ability to write a big, long, complicated 50-page test. Now, a 50-page test is a wonderful measure of commitment, right? 
but it doesn't necessarily tell us what we need to know. There are people who can write who can't talk, right? Many. Many. Uh, two separate skills, right? You know, two separate skills entirely. So we <clears> decided <throat> we were going to shift over to the oral board mechanism, which is used in a lot of different professional evaluations, and it's worked out real well. It has, and well, one of the big reasons was because you you can. If you've been around this stuff long enough, you can infer what's on the written exam. It's not that complicated. You know, you're going to have a physics question. You're going to have a, a bunch of programming questions. Right. You just go look a, it up. And it's some know. anatomy stuff. It's not. It's it's not that much of a surprise. And you give people two weeks to do it. <clears throat> and uh, and on top of that, we had started doing uh, active, you know, coach development with the prep course and with other stuff. So a, anybody you give that test to is going to be able to to generate a decent response to them so right it's, what, what we need to test is is have you integrated the material and can you talk about it right on demand if the 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 written test was essentially a can you do you have the skill to look this up which was fine when we had people you know, who weren't familiar with the material or who had uh who had done it on their own but know? what we decided was that starting train coaches should be familiar with the material already and they should be able to in real time, explain the answers to these questions to our board people, our review panel, and tell us about it then without having to go to the Internet and look it up. We don't want to know how well you can look shit up on Google. We want to know what you know. And the best way to do that was to just interview them. So that's what we've done. And that's who now are the starting train coaches. And anybody that comes through is going through that process, and we're confident that we're doing a better job now of keeping people from sneaking through because we'd had some problems with that previously. So, uh, what does a what does a client get out of this deal? Well, any if you hire a starting strength coach to help you with your training, what you're hiring, as I mentioned previously, is you're hiring the experience and the time you're going to save from not having to learn this shit yourself. Okay. Now, that's going to require you to, as much as I hate to tell you this, this is going to require you to shut up and do as you're told for a while. Now, it doesn't require you to not think about what you're being told, and it doesn't require you to accept blindly what you're being told because I mean, everybody's wrong. You know, starting strength coaches can be wrong. Starting strength coaches can be incorrect in their approach with a certain client. For example, you don't coach a 16-year-old kid the same way you coach a 55-year-old doctor. You're, there's two different ways to handle these. Right. It's possible for starting strength coaches to make mistakes in, the, in terms of the way they're handling the client. Yep. Nonetheless, it is required that the client cooperate. And by cooperate, we mean when we show you, for example, the teaching method on the squat. We just want you to do it. All right. If you want to discuss it, we'll discuss it later. But we're here for an hour, hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half, and we don't have time to dissect every little piece of this thing in real time. We'll be glad to discuss that with you. Starting our coaches are glad to discuss all of this background material with you. 
but not right now. When you come to your to your appointment with the coach, we got a limited amount of time, and it may be that the coach has got two or three other people in the appointment because of the demand for these services and all of this stuff. You're just going to have to just to work with us on this and be a good client and be coachable. The coach says something to you about your back angle in the squat. The next thing that you need to do is change something, okay? Be coachable. Be coachable. Don't just consciously or unconsciously just repeat what you've been doing over and over when what you've been doing you have been now told is wrong. All right, you've got to try to change. You've got to work with us on this stuff. So a, a client, a good client, is someone who really wants to be there. He really wants to be there. He values the experience. He values the, the time that he's spending, that he's paying money to spend with the coach. He values the feedback provided by this person who is more experienced than he is. And he will act upon the coaching to the best of his ability he will act upon the coaching thus getting out of the appointment what he's paying for okay so that that's probably the most uh, immediate thing we look for in a client someone who values the experience to the extent that they're going to get the most out of it by understanding the relationship between the coach and the client the client derives more from the coaching right yeah and most of the time most of the time that takes care of itself because the client has decided that the trade-off because look there's value in in doing this stuff yourself if you want to right right? if you want if you're just interested in it you think it's cool to figure shit out and figure out programming and learn how to do the lifts on your own that's great uh but as soon as you decide you're going to become a client, you're th- there's a trade-off involved, and you're outsourcing now the the learning and the and the optimization of this process to somebody who has more experience dealing with the process. That's what a coaching relationship is, right? right. There's a process involved. Anytime you're talking about coaching, there's a process, and somebody's guiding you through that process. So you're outsourcing the learning <clears throat> and the decisions that need to be made along that process to somebody who has more expertise. It's just like we talk about, the, I talk about this in the, uh, in the programming lecture, uh, you know, everybody has the capability to figure this stuff out on your own. It's not that complicated, but uh, it's just like fixing your car, right? right? If you've got a problem with your car, uh, you can Google it and watch some YouTube videos and go rent the tools and figure some sh- shit out over right. the course of a weekend. But what's your time worth? What's your time worth? And you're going to make some mistakes along the way. You're going to have extra parts right you're gonna have to take it apart and put it back together because you did it wrong or you take it to the mechanic and you pay him and you outsource all that stuff exactly the same thing so it's it's the same you're paying the man for to save you the time right right and time is money exactly right now who doesn't make a good client well the person who really wants to do all this shit themselves or or thinks they already know it all or thinks they already know it all i would have made a terrible client I would have made a terrible client. Can you imagine somebody trying to handle me in a personal training appointment? What a giant pain in the ass I would have been. Maybe, maybe, you know? maybe in the past. 
Because I mean, you in, you, in the past, you know, but I. But I, at this know. point, you understand, and we, you know, I've said things before to you when you're lifting, and you, you're like, yeah, other people that are in the gym, you know, they coach, coach you, they say yeah. things, and you fix it. But yeah, it uh, 30, 40, 40. Forty years ago, I wouldn't even have drank because I didn't have the money, <laughs> you know. But you know, I was interested in this to the exclusion of basically everything else, right. and I was going to figure it all out myself. Yep. The problem with that was it took me forty years yep. to figure it out. Exactly. Now, forty years is a hell of a lot of time that I could have spent doing other shit, but I chose to do this. As a result of having done it that way, what I know. I know, right? I'm sorry. Shut the fuck up. You're not entitled to an opinion. Okay? I know this because I learned it the very, very hard way. All right? The very hard way. The hardest way possible. And, and not, not only that, though, Rip, but you're also willing to uh, to look at what you were doing and, and change. Yes, Always. You presence, have to be willing to look what you're doing. In the presence change. of... And if you're a pig-headed son of a bitch and you won't do that, then you're not going to make a good client. Yep, right. You know, if 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 you come... And you've been training a little bit, you decide to hire a trainer, and you, you know, a coach says, well, here's the situation. You're doing a high bar squat with a bar low on your back. You're doing front squat, whatever you're doing. And, and here's why we want you to bend over. Because it gives you access to your posterior chain, all this muscle band stuff, and and you you know take the short explanation of that, and and so bending over is what we want you to do. Yes, your back is loaded; it's a back exercise too. So here's what you do: the first thing you do is bend over. When you squat down, you unlock your knees and hips, and you bend over. Introduce a more horizontal back angle immediately. And once again, this is the reason for that. Now do it and then you do the first rep exactly the way you've been doing it and you do the second rep exactly the way you've been doing it all right now if i were coaching that person what i would say is rack the bar right rack the bar maybe i didn't explain myself yep adequately this is what i want you to do and i push them into that position use a tactical cue this is what i need to see and i'm not seeing it those two reps were wrong all right. Now, we've only got another 45 minutes left in this appointment, and we need to get this fixed. So what I want you to do is think real hard about what I'm telling you and apply the cue I've just given you to bend over. All right. Let's see it again. Or, or even, and, wor even and, worse is the person who says, well, I'm doing this because of this other thing. Like, I'm doing this high bar squat because I read this thing on the forum that said if my shoulders hurt i need a high bar squat but here you are working with a coach who's telling you that you can get into a low bar squat position yes it doesn't matter what you what you think is going on but you hear you right. are paying a guy and he's telling you're you are paying a guy and you're arguing with him right exactly well here's you know how you you know how i tell you what prevents that all right what prevents you arguing with the guy you're paying is when he starts charging you more money <laughs> All right. If you are arguing with your coach, he's not charging you enough money. All right. So everybody keep that in mind. All right. If you got an uncooperative client, double your fee. Yeah. And he'll either leave, which is fine, 
or he'll shut the fuck up and do what you're telling him to do. I've I've charged people more who I think are going to be a pain in the ass just from the initial conversation with them. Absolutely. Because it's going to be worth more money to you, and you're going to get – and he's going to get a better result. This is is the point. He's going to get a better result if – Having paid you more money, he's paying closer attention to what you tell him to do and therefore approximating the model earlier and sooner and better. Right. Right? Yep. So, you know, this is this is what we look for in a client, and some people are just not going to do that. Right? You know, if you got this fucking 25-year-old guy who's been reading the bodybuilding magazine since he was 12, and he's got this. Right, the guy—he's not going to come to you anyway as a, as a client. But let's say he gets a hair up his ass and decides that, you know, he's going to take the opportunity to hire a coach and then prove to the coach that he knows more about it than the coach does. Now there are pig-headed assholes like yeah, that. It happens. You know, it does happen. Uh, he's not going to make a good client. You're wasting your time with him. If you can tell you as a coach can tell that this is who you're dealing with double your feet <laughs> double your feet we'll see how committed he is to being an asshole yeah yep right double your your goddamn money all right what is a price okay let's let's recede back into first causes like we like to do here what is price what is a price what does that actually mean? You got three fundamental variables in any economic relationship. You've got supply, you've got demand, and you've got price. Okay? Supply is how much of the shit there is, the commodity that you're dealing with. Demand is how badly do people want the shit you've got. Like, for example, there's a whole lot of dirt, and there is not much demand for dirt unless you're trying to fill up a hole, okay? Now, price reflects the value to the, of the demand E for the supply, right? If the commodity is plentiful, and there's not much demand for it, the price will be low because the price is the reflection, the direct measurement. This is not theoretical. It is a direct measurement of the value of the commodity. All right. Which is the relationship between supply and demand. It's the, the, the relationship between supply and demand is directly reflected by the price right. variable. Now, politicians... Yeah, what happens? Don't if, believe this. What happens if the federal government subsidizes dirt then? Well, then dirt gets to be real expensive, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's a certain kind of dirt, right? From a certain district, right? Right. In a right, certain state, right? It lays in the hole better, <laughs> right? So you've got that which you subsidize, you get more of, right? Right. That which you subsidize. In other words, other people's money are involved in buying it. Right. The price goes up because you have now divorced the value 
of the commodity from the supply and the demand. Right. Okay. Now, let's think back over the past couple of years of human history. Shall we? Now, supply, demand, and price is something that six-year-olds can understand if it's explained to them correctly. All right? Six-year-olds like candy, right? Because their mom and dad have always rewarded them with the sweet flavor of candy when they do something good. And something good results in, in candy. So candy is valuable to the child. All right? Now, what if there are only two pieces of candy in the house? We've eaten the rest of it. There's only two pieces of candy left. We have a small supply of candy. But you have four kids. So the demand for the candy is higher than the supply. This changes what the children are willing to do to obtain the candy. Right. They would have just done paper, rock, scissors when there was plenty. Right. Now they got to fight. Now they got to fight for it. Yeah. With knives. With knives, pistols, <laughs> pistols, twenty yards. <laughs> you know. And they're good with it because they understand. They understand fundamentally. There's only two pieces of candy. I want one of them. Yeah. Got to fight. I'd take both of them if I could get them. Right. So what am I willing to do now? Well, the value went up. The price went up. All right, this is this is not complicated. Six-year-old kids understand this, okay? But the Biden administration, and to an extent the Trump administration, and certainly the goddamn stupid Bush administration, didn't understand this. They don't understand it. They want to pretend as though, just like everybody's being asked to pretend things that aren't true nowadays. They want to pretend that that price supply-demand relationship doesn't exist. It always exists, whether you want it to exist or not. So coaching follows the same thing, okay? Coaching is a commodity. Coaching is a commodity provided by a man or a woman. Let's not leave Bree out, although she wants us to. That is earned. It is a commodity that is that has got to be cultivated. Learning, experience is a commodity, all right? The ability of the coach to coach is a commodity. That commodity is built upon the sweat and the hours under the bar and the, and the coaching of that material that he learned under the bar of the coach, all right? I am a very good coach. All right, I may be the best barbell coach in the world. People will say that. I haven't said that, but people have said that. And it may be true because I can solve movement problems very, very, very quickly, much more quickly than most other people can solve them. All right. That makes me valuable. All right. What would I need to charge if I wanted to do personal training? Boy, that's a good question. Haven't you had people offer a bunch of money? No. No, I haven't. I thought you've had people email say that. Uh, I've had people. I had. A, I got an email. Just ask what you charge. I got an email uh, three or four weeks ago from some guy that wanted uh, to ask me some questions. And I said, post, like I always do, post questions on the forums at startingstrength.com. 
and uh, he said, uh, well, I've got several questions, and I would rather just pay you to uh, answer them for me. And I said, okay. This is the last email I sent him. I said, all right, my uh, hourly rate is seven fifty, with a one-hour minimum. And this is acceptable to you. I'll send you the credit card information. You can go ahead and enter that, and then we'll just start the clock. And I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> so interesting he did not value my input at 750 dollars an hour right that's his deal yeah certainly it's the it's the person spending the money gets to decide the value if i go to walmart and i see a bag of brown rice and it's 17 dollars 99 cents for a five-pound bag of rice, I got a decision to make. They priced it. Do I value it at that same level? Probably not. And probably nobody else is either, and that's why the shelf's still full. Right. Okay? But so these are these things are such common phenomena that you don't even think about it most of the time most people don't even think about the relationship between supply demand and price but it operates in every area of human intercourse it is it controls our behavior and it is at play in coaching all right i'm obviously not worth 750 an hour and i know that you know, I, I just you didn't want to fuck with the, the guy. I, guy. I thought I gave him the opportunity to deal with this free on the board. Yep. But no, 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 no. I've got to command some of your time. Well, this is what my time's worth. Yeah. Okay. Funny and I overvalued it because I'm not interested. Sure, you don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Not interested in dealing with it. So, uh, so um, the... Uh, um, the thing about coaching is uh, if the client does not value the coaching to the extent that the client's willing to pay for the coaching, what the, what the coach values it at, and is, is willing to do what the coach tells him to do, to be coachable, then he can't be your client. Okay, the, the, the client has got to he has to hold up his end of the deal and his end of the deal is showing up for the appointment and paying you the money you ask him to pay you and then doing what you tell him to do now after a couple of months if you the client have not made the progress that having read the books and become familiar with this information, know that you're capable of making, then it's your decision at that point to discontinue the relationship. Right? Now, there are coaches out there who are selling templates, programming templates, and these people pay them every month for this programming template, and these people hadn't made any progress in a year. Now, why would you continue to pay for something that is not providing you with progress. Well, 
The reason you would do that is because progress is not your priority. Progress is not your priority if you continue to pay somebody for coaching that's not making you progress, right? Now, what might be the other motivations that a person would want to continue to do that? They think they are making progress somehow. They think they are making progress because of estimated 1RMs and such bullshit like that. that's a convenient way to do it. You know, convenient way to build in progress is to make it bullshit. Yeah. Estimate your 1RM. Uh, Or you might just like being a member of the club. Yeah. That kind of thing happens. Yep. It happens quite a bit all throughout human society. The 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 feeling of belonging to what you perceive as an elite group. Yep. Is is valuable to some people to the extent that they don't care if they're making any progress. They're part of the club. Right. Yeah, that's, that's fine. True, for sure. That's fine. It's your money. You spend it however you want to. If that is your judgment in terms of the value of the commodity, then pay the money. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time being a member of the club doing the same goddamn weights for a year. Fine. But I'll tell you, time is money in more ways than just one. Every year that you waste not making any progress is progress that you're not going to get back. Okay? You might need to rethink your value assessment of that sort of thing because it's, once it's gone it's gone you know once the time's gone time flows in one direction only it's an interesting interesting phenomenon can't go back in time it's fun in the movies but had never actually happened has it so as a as a as a client you have got to be um you, you have to value what you're going to obtain from the coach. Okay. Now, what about in the event that the coach is not providing you with that which you value? I mean, this, this happens all the time, doesn't it? Yep. It could be that you, the client, are not doing what the coach is asking you to do. It could be that the coach is fucking this up. That happens. Could be that the coach is not providing the value. Or it could be that your priorities as the client have changed. Maybe based on good information, maybe based on bad information. All right, let's say you come to your your coach and saying and you, you tell the coach, I want to I want a hypertrophy. I want to get real, real big. I want to get real big. And uh, coach evaluates you as a lifter, and you're deadlifting two and a quarter for five. <laughs> you're benching 140 for three sets of five. You're squatting 175 for five for three sets. And the coach tells you, well, here's the situation, all right? You're not really even a very good novice lifter and at this point uh, and really at most points in your career 
you don't need to focus on hypertrophy. You need to focus on strength. Because if you take your set of five deadlift from 225 to 495, then guess what happens to your back? gets bigger right you take your squat from 175 to 405 for three sets of five what happens to your legs what happens to your chest depth what happens to your hips they got bigger right same for the press same for the bench all this stuff it's all the same you get your deadlift from two and a quarter to 495 you know what happens to your forearms? You know, the showiest part of a man's physique is his arms coming out of his shirt. Right? Oh, look. It's vascular. God. Look at that. It's astonishing. You all right, Bree? And that's You okay, Bree? That's what happens. That's the result of pulls. Yeah. It's not the result of wrist curls. <laughs> it's the result of getting your deadlift from two and a quarter to four ninety five. Okay. Yeah, you got You have to see eye to eye with the coach you, on on the result of the process, right? But and you, how to get there, right? And, and on the things that you don't know, you have to. I mean, this is why you're paying the, him. the things that you've been told that are wrong, right? Right, like hypertrophy training is bodybuilding mythology. You know this. It sets eight to 12 reps, five to six sets of eight to 12 reps with limited rest in between the thing, right? Yep. Misinformation. That's misinformation. Misinformation is what you're the subject of. It's bodybuilding mythology. All right. Kirk Karwaski was one of the biggest, strongest motherfuckers I have ever been in the presence of. And Kirk didn't do, he did fives. You know, he was huge. But he was, he was always striving to lift heavier weights, not more reps. More reps is easier for your coach. I've said this so many times, I just, I just, uh, you know, I really hate to revisit it. A lot of these bullshit training templates are they're for the coach to make money I wish people weren't like that but they are and uh, you know if you've been handed a percentage based program and are paying for it you're just you're just a customer you're not a you're not a lifter you're not a client you're just a customer all right if you've bought this hypertrophy bullshit based on the latest paper from Brad Schoenfeld or whoever. This is all, this is, read it. Read it carefully. It's bullshit, okay? If you take your set of five deadlift from two and a quarter to 495, what happened to your size? What happened to your hypertrophy? Well, let's take your deadlift for 495, to 675 what happened again how does a muscle get stronger it grows bigger that's hypertrophy
Using lighter weights for higher reps does not make it bigger faster. Okay, especially if the five sets of 10 you're going to be squatting have to be done with 165 pounds because you're not real strong. Okay. Five sets of 10 for a man with a, a 495 squat is different than five sets of 10 for a man with a 225 squat. They're a different physical experience. But let's not even introduce that. Let's not lose sight of the fact that heavier is bigger. And that's all you need to know. How do you get heavier? Five pounds at a time. That's all there is to it. This isn't complicated. I know it's fun to make it complicated. It may even make you more money if you make it complicated, right? But it's it's still bullshit. All right. Now, you as a client are entitled to sit back after a couple of months of working with this program and decide whether or not you're making any progress. And if you're not making any progress, and progress in terms of the weight on the bar, strength, is what you're here for, then you as a client must decide about the value of the price attached to the training. Okay? Now, if you you know, you decide it's not worth it, well, you change coaches. Or you take, conversely, you take what you've learned from the coach and train yourself for a while. And then you be honest about whether or not your approach to this by yourself is working. And if it's not, then it's probably time to hire a different coach. There's lots and lots of coaches, lots and lots of approaches to all of this stuff. It's only a couple of them that make any sense, right? Uh, but there are different coaches of the stuff that makes sense that communicate in different ways to different people, right? We've got starting strength coaches that I would that I would put with uh, younger trainees. We got starting strength coaches that I think are, are are fabulous trainers of people over 65 they're not necessarily the same skill set but the material's the same though right so you've got as the as the client you have the ability to decide about who's going to coach you and whether you're getting out of the coaching what you need to justify your writing the check every month do we still write checks that's no. old-fashioned isn't it no, I won't. Yeah, I don't even know how to take a check. What do I do with it? Well, you put it in your pocket. Then you take it to the bank and deposit it. Do I have to it. call somebody about it? No. Okay. So I talk to a single, solitary soul about now it. Now you don't even have to go to the bank. You just take a picture of it. Yeah. <laughs> Should do that. I don't I don't keep track of such shit. <laughs> Carmen does all that shit. That's why she still has to do fucking checks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does checks. She had to worry she about it. Cards, she, would, she, she does checks. But anyway, look. <laughs> You are derailing this guy. <laughs> hey, it wasn't me. Who are you, Mark you, Hurling? You what started talking about wrong the checks, you? Rip. I didn't say anything about a check. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, anyway. Hey, Clients look. are responsible for their own experience with the coach. 
All right. If you are not going to be coachable and you know you're not going to be coachable, don't waste a bunch of money on this. Just muddle through on your own. Try to learn as much about it as you can and try to apply what you learn to your own training. You're not just wasting money. You're wasting people's time. You're wasting your time. You're wasting the coach's time. Uh, it's money that could be better spent on your kids' braces, right? <laughs> so don't don't do don't do stupid things with money and 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 don't be if you know you're going to be a bad client don't sign up let, all right let, can we add a thing to, to being coachable because there's there's being coachable in terms of uh you know on the platform listening and doing stuff some people look some people you tell them to move and you tell them to do something and they just don't know right so um, right. i don't think those people are necessarily being uncoachable they're just uh what we may refer to as a motor moron, right? Yeah, um, and that's okay. Yeah, right? it's not the same thing it's as not. as uncoachable. Yeah, lots of absolutely people. not the same thing. Our job as coaches is to fix motor morons. Exactly, that's exactly. what we know how to do. Yeah. If I tell you a cue and you don't understand it, I as a coach ought to be able to watch you respond out. to my cue, right, and determine whether you're being pig-headed. Or you just don't understand. Exactly. That is part of my job as the coach to figure out. Yep. And if what I've communicated to you is not being understood, that's my fault. Yep. And I need to try something else. Right. Okay. But you ignoring me is a different matter entirely. Right. And I, as a coach, can tell. Of course. Yeah. And those right. people, those people don't tend to last very long. But what you no. do, what you do get a lot, and this goes to being a good client, is don't hire a coach to validate your ideas on things because that happens a lot you, yeah. you get somebody who uh knows about starting strength uh wants to do starting strength wants to do things correctly but they come with all these weird ideas about how it actually happens and they're looking for somebody to tell them um that the way yes you're right the way they're doing it is the right way or the way that they think it should be done is the right way um <clears throat> so you got to let that shit go because the the, the process is going to look different for you versus the versus the videos you see of chase online you know it, it or or you know xyz person whoever you're you're, you're following or you think uh is what it's going to look like for you it's going to be different and you've got to you've got to uh you got to let that go because again we're outsourcing this stuff to the coach if you if that's what you want to do you're gonna have to figure it out on your own but don't hire somebody just to validate your uh, your your ideas on things. Yeah, that's rather expensive ego stroking. It is. Yeah. You know. Yep. I mean, if you if you if it's you weird think because you're it right, a lot. if you think you're right about it, why hire the coach? Yep. Do you really believe you already know this shit? Why waste money on a coach? Right. And it may be a waste. You may be a genius. You may very well be able to do this shit without a coach, and lots and lots of people are. Okay? I'm not, I'm not saying everybody needs a coach. What I'm telling you right now is not everybody needs a coach, and not everybody can work with a coach. But if you are someone who can benefit from coaching services, this is what you need to do. Yeah, go all in. Don't, yeah. you know, don't, don't hold yourself back. Uh, you know, you need to listen to what the coach is telling you to do. And where I thought Nick was about to go with that is there are things that the coach is going to tell you to do that do not apply 
to here in the gym. He's going to tell you stuff about how to get recovered. He's going to tell you about sleep no, and diet and all this other stuff that we don't have direct supervision of in the gym. All right. If you've got an eating disorder, like you're a vegan or something like that, okay, if you don't like to eat breakfast but are in need of gaining weight, right, if you are in a bind for time and don't have time to eat lunch, right, all these things are going to adversely affect your training, right? There's nothing we can do about that. All right, we can't change the laws of physiology for your schedule. All right, we, it, 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 certain amount of calories, certain amount of protein, certain minimum quality of food is going to be required in order for you to get recovered. All right, and when the coach tells you this, that's part of the coaching. All right, for in, in fact, for lots and lots of people, lots and lots of people the stuff that you have to do at home is a much bigger intrusion into your normal schedule than coming to the gym three days a week it's much more invasive to have to eat four meals a day of a certain quality and have to stock up on that and keep the food in inventory and get prepared and cook and package and do all of the shit that's required to eat four times a day so that you can get recovered adequately from the three workouts a week okay but that's part of the coaching and you have to do it that that's exactly what i meant because you, yeah. you've got uh, you, you've got people who will pay a coach thinking that bec- due to the fact that i hired a coach i can uh all these problems will be solved for for me mm-hmm. but that's not actually what's happening no no, I had to fire kids, uh, a friend of mine's kid one time, his client, because she wouldn't eat. Yeah. He, of course, didn't believe it, but uh, wouldn't eat, wasn't getting recovered, wasn't making any progress. Right. <clears throat> you know, set of five that went the last workout turned into a set of four with a with a two-pound weight increase this time. Should have gone. Yep. Form was correct. Should have gone up. But she wasn't. She just couldn't do it. Now, why couldn't? Why can't you do this? What'd you eat this morning for breakfast? Well, I don't eat breakfast. What'd you have for lunch? I had a bag of chips. It didn't work. It right. It didn't work. Part of the coaching that I'm giving you here requires that you do things when you're not here. If you're not willing to do that, you can't be coached. That's a that's a a means of being uncoachable. That's right. Okay, because stress is what I apply here in the gym. Recovery from the stress is what you do at home, and the result of both of those things is the adaptation, which is why we're here. So if you're not going to be coachable at home. In addition to being coachable at the gym, then this isn't going to fucking work, right? Now, if you come to the gym and you're 5'9 and you weigh 155 pounds, you're underweight. You need to gain some weight. We've told you you need to gain some weight. You've agreed that you need to gain some weight, but you won't eat. You're not going to gain any weight. And you're being uncoachable. And 
don't be surprised if the coach frees up your time slot for somebody else that will do what he asks them to do. Okay? This is uh, – we fire clients, you know. You don't just fire us. We fire you, too. I've done it several times. Had to do it several times over the years. It just wasn't working out. People weren't working out, you know. They're hiring me to do something for them, and then they won't help me out. Well, I could do one of two things. I could just continue to deposit the check and then just do the standard babysitting that personal trainers do. How are your grandkids? <laughs> you know? What, what do you think about me getting a new car? You know, just sit there and talk to him like an idiot between right. sets, right? Or I could say after, you know, it became obvious that the client is not being coachable, client's not doing what I tell them to do, not getting results out of it, I could do the responsible thing and say, look, I don't think this is working out. I don't think this is working out. All right? I, I, you're not doing what I asked you to do. And I, you know, I, we talked about it, and I've explained to you why I think it's necessary, and you're not being receptive, you're not following through on the stuff. So I think it'd probably be better if you found somebody else to help you. Now, why would a coach want to run off business? It goes his two, reputation. It goes two ways. Well, it not- his reputation. If if I'm coaching this guy that looks the same for a year, what does it make me look like as a coach? Yeah, and not, not only you know. I mean, it's I look. I I don't want that as a reputation. Also, also, you good know? coaches are in demand. And if I have somebody that I think is going to benefit more than somebody else, I want to I want to coach that person. Right, because and once again, this is all economic, isn't it? What is my what is going to happen to my coaching the value of my coaching time if every one of my clients makes excellent rapid progress by doing what i tell them to do it's going to go up faster it's going to be higher it's going to be of higher value Mm -hmm. to the market i had to threaten all my kids that were acting up i was like if you guys don't want to be here i've got kids that will replace you that want to be here why would i want to train them right and they started acting right yeah you just have to tell them you know look you 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 can be replaced i can be replaced maybe but you could be replaced certainly you can certainly be replaced. Now, I'd rather replace you than have you make it look like I don't know what I'm doing because that's what the deal is. If you go a year without any palpable change in your physical appearance and you're my client for the year, it looks like I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I can't have that. I can't have it. And I'm not going to have it. And as a result, I think you'd be happier somewhere else. So you have to fire the client. The client can't be a client. Right. If the client's not qualified to be a cooperative client, then you need to get rid of them. You really honestly do. And I'm telling you, I know that in the short term seems like a stupid economic decision. But in the long view of things, you as a coach are better off not having uncoachable clients because they make it look like you don't know what you're doing they diminish your value in the market because it is 
observed by other people who might want to hire you that you don't know what the hell you're doing, when in fact, it's the uncoachable client. So those are my thoughts on you and your responsibility to your coach. Uh, You guys got anything to add? You know, I'm in the room here with two of the best coaches in the world. Nick and Marie. Nick and (laughs) – you know, we give Rusty a lot of shit, but Rusty is is, – and just do this. I don't want you to hear this. All right. Rusty's the best coach of kids I've ever seen. Ooh, wow. Rusty knows how to communicate with these rotten little 14-year-old fucks that I can't deal with, and he works with them better than anybody I have ever seen work with kids, bar none, in all the years I've been coaching. Rusty is the best coach of a youth demographic that I've ever seen. All right, you can take your hands off your ears now. So, and Nick, you know, (laughs) right after me, Nick's the best coach in this system. Oh, thanks. You know, and you know, eventually Nick will be as good as me, but he's going to have to just grow up. <laughs> he's just a kid. He's still just a child, All right? So if uh, you know, it's a two way street. Look, your your coach is a uh, is is a uh, is a dude or a gal who uh, is at work, and uh, they've got to enjoy. You know, they've got to enjoy coming to work. So don't be a pain in the ass. You know, don't make that the reason you get fired. Yeah. You know, what people don't understand about gym owners in particular, but coaches in general, is that we're in the gym all day. We're in the gym all day. You're only in the gym an hour and a half. All right. You come to the gym. And most people do this incorrectly. Most people come to the gym for what they interpret as a recreational experience. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun with your training, but the more effective way to approach your training is 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 the completion of your work day. All right? You'll get more done if you look at it like that. But if you come to the gym and it's fun for you to be at the gym, remember, I've been there 10 hours already. (laughs) And – what you're having fun doing is probably not fun to me. All right, so I'm going to have a different take on your behavior. So when you say possibly you, than you are. Yeah, when you right. say you didn't eat breakfast, it's. Uh, <laughs> you say you didn't eat breakfast. Huh? I didn't eat breakfast today. It was literally the only thing we told you to do. Is, hey, eat, make sure you fucking eat breakfast tomorrow. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I didn't eat any. Well, I didn't have time. I got up late. I don't care. <laughs> That you got up late. What I care is what you didn't do, which is eat breakfast. You did get up late, but you didn't eat breakfast, and that's my only concern. That what you didn't do, that I told you to do. All right? Now, if this keeps happening, this would be the honest conversation to have with the If this keeps happening, this is your last month that's with right. me. Yeah. Do you understand? I don't need to. I'd much rather be sitting in there watching porn. <laughs> all right than dealing with your uncooperative ass i a hundred times rather 
being here enjoying myself rather than dealing with somebody that won't do what I tell them to do. All right? So decide what you're going to do tomorrow morning and make it happen. When I, take right? on, when I take on new clients, that's one of the first conversations I have with them. Getting in here is the easiest part. Yes. It's when you get out of the yes. gym and sleeping and eating, recovering. That's the hardest part. That is the hardest part. It's the hardest part for us if they don't do it, and it's the hardest part for them to do. We know this. All right? I'm, a, I'm asking you to change up your day four times at home. And five or six times if you're not going to sleep at the right time, right? I know I'm. this is invasive. We understand this, right? All I'm asking you to do in here is come in three times and then do what I tell you to do. But that's the easy part. The hard part is you going home and behaving responsibly to the time that you have invested with me, okay? That's all I'm asking you to do. And I, I understand it's invasive. But either you're going to do it or I'm going to replace your appointment with somebody else that will. And that's, you know, at some point, that's the conversation you have to have. You know, and if you as a client are not willing to do all this stuff, don't be a client. Just go to the Crunch Fitness or Golds or Planet Fatness or whatever, you know, some corporate, you know, go in there and buy a $10 a month membership and play around on the treadmills and wave the dumbbells around in, in the air and go home. All right, just do that. That's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. There isn't anything wrong with doing it that way. You know, it's better than sitting on your ass. And it makes you happier than having to deal with somebody that's telling you what to do, especially if what to do is hard. Okay? Not everybody can be a good client. A coaching client is, we are narrow casting for coaching clients, just like we narrow cast for everybody that's involved in this program. Because it doesn't appeal to everybody. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody can be a starting strength coach. Not everybody can understand why starting strength works. Not everybody's capable of understanding why our approach is better than everybody else's approach. And not everybody is capable of being a client for a starting strength coach. Okay. Now, I hope this clarifies some things in your mind about what the hell we're doing here. All right. If you've got any questions about this, this is, you know, we do these Q and A's all the time. Just shoot us an email and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it some more, but I'm telling you, um, being a client, you, you don't just wander in, you know, a lot's required. If I get a client, down to his last rep of the third set of five on heavy squats. And I, I tell him, you've got this. You've got this. Give it a try. We're spotting you. You've got this. And you put it back in the rack. You're not being a good client. I wouldn't have told you You've got this if I didn't think you had this, and I know more about this than you do. And the fact that I know more about this than you do is why you're paying me.
okay? Be coachable. Do what you're told. Try to comply. That doesn't mean don't think about it. I may be full of shit, and you'll figure that out soon enough. But while you're under the watchful eye, which is always what you're under, (laughs) of a coach, then you need to try to do what the coach is telling you to do. All right. So keep all this shit in mind, would you? Thanks for being here. On Starting Strength Radio, we'll talk again soon. Bye.